Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the Broke Down Podcast. My name is Jonathan, and this is episode 73. I've got a good one for you today, and I hope you dig it. But first, I'd like to remind you that the Broke Down Podcast is part of Osiris. The mission of Osiris Media is to connect passionate music fans like yourselves with the music and experiences that matter to you. I spoke a bit last week about their new podcast, Festival Circuit. They're digging into New Orleans, the unique and powerful music of that city, and the one-of-a-kind New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. So check out Festival Circuit on your favorite podcast app or, of course, on OsirisPod.com. should also tell you the latest Dave's Pick is up for pre-order, and if it hasn't sold out by the time this show is actually posted, usually is, jump on it. This time they've picked 42084 from the Philadelphia Civic Center, and it's a good one. In fact, prior to the announcement, I had selected a portion of that second set for this very episode. Crazy timing. Dave, I'd appreciate it if you'd stop looking at my notes. Anyway, let's check that out at dead.net. So I hope you guys enjoyed the last episode. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was one of those that left the doors wide open for any sort of mix, and honestly, I think that led to some creative selections. This one is a bit different. I don't think that's fair, actually. Let me back that up. I say this one is a bit different, but... Well, it is. It definitely is. But the selections, of course, are still really creative. And I just, I was given a, a direction this time. My guest, Justin Bruce, is a weatherman for Las Vegas's KTNV, and he's, he's an avid music fan, of course, and I've had the pleasure to know him for a good while. He's been on the Helping Friendly podcast in the past because not only is he a fan with big ears, he thinks and attempts to understand what he's exploring. He's not a fan who saw The Grateful Dead a bunch of times, but rather he's a fan who's mining the tapes and learning as he goes. When Justin tweeted that he was going to explore the Brent era, I reached out to him immediately and said I'd love to have him on to discuss his findings and just spend some time shining a light on the late, great Brent Midland. July 23rd marks the 30th anniversary of Brent's final show, and just three days later, Brent passed at the age of 37. So not everyone loves Brent or the Grateful Dead of the 80s. I'm talking about you. I won't say this episode isn't for you. In fact, it may be more for you than for anyone else, aside from the folks who simply haven't explored his work, or those who love him and are excited to celebrate what he did. I'm going to tell you right now, I love Brent. I love his voice, his playing, and his writing, and I will not engage in a debate about whether or not he fits in with or belongs in the Grateful Dead, because this is Grateful Dead music. It always will be. And we are here to celebrate Brent, talk about him, with good humor, uh, honesty, a little retrospect, but make no mistake, I'm a fan, and uh, I am biased. It's not my job to not be biased. Uh, I don't know where I was going with this. Oh, so yeah, so this one is a bit different from the last one where it was all open-ended and I could pick whatever. This one, obviously, I focus on Brent Midland era, Brent Midland songs. And so, yeah, after the conversation, there is a hefty mix of music. It leans into those Brent songs, but also supports some serious jams on other tunes to which he contributed as a player and as a singer. And I think it's really strong, and I hope you dig it. 
You can find the track listing in the full show notes over at the blog at brokedownpodcast.blogspot.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BrokedownPod. So please uh, don't hesitate to send me your thoughts on this episode or anything else that seems important to share. If you use Apple Podcasts, consider leaving a rating and a review. It helps people find the show and is much appreciated. For the sake of brevity, which is kind of laughable given how long this mix is, uh, it's going to spin up right on the heels of the conversation, though. So I will leave you now to hear my chat with Justin Bruce. And I will say, until next time, be well. Thank you for coming on. It's good to see your face virtually through the internet, although you, you're always putting your face up there because of the the weather. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm sure I will have told everybody by now that you uh, are the, the weatherman for Las Vegas's KTNV. Yeah, uh, repping Channel 13, the ABC station. I was in Nashville for, gosh, almost 13 years. Then we moved to Vegas, which is where my wife is, is more or less from. And uh, yeah, for the last couple of months, I've been broadcasting every morning from the kitchen table. So it's it's definitely been an interesting experience, but yeah, it's a it's that hot time of year here in Las Vegas, so definitely hanging out inside and and hoping that the pools open sometime sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um yeah, this is not the time of year where I think about going to Vegas. Um I will tell everybody that it was October that I did last go to Vegas was in an October what 2016 was that? Yeah. Um, we were just talking about that because that's where we met in person. Uh, and I think that's when you were out for your interview for this very job. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I, uh, I'd been in Nashville for a long time and the weather in Nashville is pretty insane. Tornadoes, 12 months of the year, it can happen in the middle of the night. So hmm. we were starting a family and it was, you know, I'd been there a long time and we were ready to, with a little kid in tow, live, live next to someone's family and a opportunity opened up in Las Vegas. So yeah. They said, can you fly out for an interview? And I said, well, I'll be there Halloween weekend uh, visiting my family. I didn't mention the fish shows, <laughs> but sort of coordinated all of that together. And it and it worked out. And it was nice to randomly bump into you at, at set break of, of night two. My brother-in-law was in tow and his mind was blown that you and I knew each other, even though we didn't know each other, you know, from real life. Yeah, that's, that's how it goes at all of these things. Uh, deadheads remember this from those days. And uh, yeah, we've fish fans carry it forward. The mission here is, well, what I should say, we, we, of course, got to know each other. You were on the HF pod, but we've interacted on Twitter a lot over the years. And it was there that uh, you mentioned that you'd never really delved into the Brent years and you were going to do it. You were, you were charging <laughs> in. And I was like, all right, we got to talk. So, yeah, it was, it was one of those things where you just tweet something out randomly, like, thinking about getting into Brent, any advice, and got literally like a hundred replies. Uh, <laughs> and it's just, you know, so interesting that the the 80s dead period is is kind of derided. I mean, you know, it's 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 touch and go. It's it's not 72, it's not 77, but there's so much good stuff, and I always feel like Brent doesn't get the credit that he deserves. So yeah, I sort of tweeted that tongue in cheek, but uh, it's 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 nice to know that there's tons of great material to dig into if, if that's what you're willing to do. There are so many great shows in this era. It's, I of course have people on this show all the time and I say, so what, uh, what, what, what do you go to? What do you listen to when you put them on? And so many people say, eh, 
1972 to 1974 or 1960-something. and All of that's great, of course, and some of my favorite stuff as well. But this is, well, it's just, it's different in a lot of ways. But there is great jamming in here. Sometimes you got to dig. Um, Jerry has his ups and downs. The whole band has their ups and downs throughout this the, the 80s or the Brent era, if you will. Um, but there's treasure throughout. I think you found some of it. Oh, there's so much good stuff. And, and you're right. I mean, the 80s were probably, well, I mean, you could argue that the 90s were the most tumultuous decade <laughs> of, of the dead with a couple of really good reasons for saying that. But, you know, the 80s, yeah, you've got to go digging. You know, there are there are some stretches like what, 83 and 84 where things are things are a little touch and go at times. But yeah, if you dig your heels in, I mean, there's some really some really good stuff. And it's been really fun the last couple of months just to like throw caution to the wind, go on re-listen or however you choose to listen to the dead and just kind of see what you could find. So uh, I gave you some homework in addition to all of these other Twitter people who, uh, judging from the notes that you shared with me, that you got some good recommendations. Um, and, I, and I gave you a few, some very general, some very specific. I tried not to color your experience with too much advanced commentary, although there were some significant exceptions. I know when I mentioned them, 630-85, I um, might have gone ahead and just told you that the shakedown was absolute fire. But, um, <laughs> you did. And I mean, it's... It is fun because it's really interesting and in that, you know, so Brent joined in what, like spring of, of 79. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, late 70s are the best. And I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between what people love, like 77, 78, the tail end of Keith and Donna. And then when Brent first gets into the band, like any new person in an organization, especially a band, you know, he's not trying to mix things up too much. like. 79 dead, 80 dead, 81 dead. Like if you like the if you like that 77 78 classic period like I wouldn't understand what you wouldn't love uh, about hearing any show from 79 or 80 or 81. Uh, unless you just missed the Donna and at the end of playing in the band or whatever. Yeah. Um, I will say it's really interesting having listened to shows across the Brent era. I think that early on whether it was purposeful or not, like a lot of his backing harmonies are like a little closer to the Donna side of the register. Not that he's wailing, but I mean, like he's, he's singing in a little higher register than that gravelly Brent tone that we all know and, and love or, or don't love from the mid eighties and, and certainly the late eighties and and ninety. Well, that's why they hired him. Uh, same reason they brought in Vince later on is for the high harmonies. I know you started like, in your notes, you started with Keith and Donna's last show, went to Brent's first show. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit to uh, 102779, the Cape Cod show, because I put that on today, in fact. And the Dancing in the Streets is a perfect example of what you're talking about, where Brent is just singing the high, high harmony bit right behind uh, Bobby. And it's it's terrific. And. Maybe this is me just sort of making stuff up in my mind and, and girding against people saying, eh, Brent, eh, 80s, I don't know. But <laughs> I really think that he had such a depth, like vocally, and, and it's like they replaced Keith and Donna 
with one person who could kind of do both things. Uh, he right. sort of gave this big sound to the dead, to my ears, just because uh, he's he's got that great voice. Uh, and But also instrumentally, you know, Keith sort of tapered a little bit on the piano at the tail end of his run from 78 into 79. Uh, but that's, Brent is, uh, he's very a bold. politely stated. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I mean, he's a, he's a bold guy. Uh, and, and on organ, you know, the Hammond, he's, he's incredible, but I really love, I really love those like wrote Fender Rhodes tones. And, you know, people talk about his, his keyboard tones and reading reviews on like archive.org or, or relisten. <laughs> You'll catch a lot of flack about, Oh, it sounds like he's playing a Casio keyboard. Like, I don't know, man. I I love how much more in the mix he is, instrumentally especially, uh, versus like the last year or two of the dead that he followed. So one of the things that I I recall reading, so I'm pulling this out of my brain from some book or interview or article or something I read somewhere in the past however many years, and was one of the key things they were looking to shift was not just the Keith and Donna issue of personnel problems that were definitely a thing, but the uh, the sound of the piano. The piano, Keith wanted to stay on piano, but the piano is a percussive instrument. It's not just melodic. In fact, if you're not taking leads, it's a lot of thumping, and they wanted something with sustain. They wanted, they wanted the organ, or they wanted, you know, I don't know how synthesizer-y they were thinking about going in 1979, but they, they wanted a real change. Uh, they already had two drummers, after all. Yeah, yeah. in 1979, when when, uh, when Brent joined, joined the show in San Jose in like April, I don't think they were fast-forwarding in their brains to 1987, when it was MIDI tones and, and Mutron yeah. tones all over the place, and Bobby's voice was was getting messed with by Dan Haley, and yeah, I don't I don't think they could have looked that far ahead, but I I think you I, can I really what tr- they would have thought. <laughs> yeah, they would have thought, whoa, the future is crazy. It's really <laughs> interesting, even super early on in the Brent era, the triangulation between Bobby and and Jerry and Brent, and it's almost like you've got three equal players, and like if you go back to earlier in the Keith era, like in one of your episodes earlier in the year, you had uh, included this, I think it was 1974, uh, this jam where Keith is just like incredible and he and Billy are, is very jazzy and it, it blew my mind when I heard it. And I was like, oh yeah, this is like, this is Keith early in the seventies. That wasn't him late in the seventies. So when you bring Brent in, it's like having another voice. So instead of just Jerry and Bobby and the drums, which, to me, when I listen back to some of the late seventies, late Keith era stuff, that, that's kind of what I hear the most. Then to have like this fresh voice in the form of Brent and his his keyboards, whether it's the Fender Rhodes or or whatever he's got going on, like it, it's just really refreshing and it's just such a big full sound. It's really exciting to listen to. Yeah, it it is, and you know they um, he stands out on the material that they're already playing. I mentioned dancing, um, passenger is another great point where he could really stand out. It's a shame that one didn't stick around. Even Friend of the Devil. I mean, yeah. the the like the in a lot of my notes I would found myself writing like, oh, his twinkly keyboard tones are really adding something to like Friend of the Devil, Candyman, like just those old 
early 70s classics that are, you know, we think of, all right, it's just a Jerry vehicle. It's It certainly doesn't hurt anything to have lots of interesting things happening in the background. And, you know, and he brought some nice textures. Uh, this is people who poo-poo the early 80s, of course, they tend to go, except, of course, the acoustic shows, you know, like the, the Radio City and the, the Warfield things. Uh, he brought some nice textures to that that I, I wouldn't say are beyond or outside what Keith may have done given that chance, but yeah, it was Brent's turn, so uh, he <laughs> he gets the check mark for those. And in, uh, in, in my mind, I'm sort of curious because, you know, I, I have to admit, I'm a Bobby in the Midnight's noob. I, I don't. I'm not sure if I've ever listened to to much Bobby in the Midnight's. You and I did uh, trade some uh, messages uh, about Silver, which was Brent's band in like 1974, uh, way back in the day. And uh, you know, it's definitely like what you would think of as mid 70s kind of you know, pop rock or soft pop or Michael McDonald influenced stuff. That record, Silver, was the band. It was self titled. It was. Uh... Clive Davis produced that, and particularly one song. So, of course, Clive signed the Gravel Dead to Arista um, for the the latter portion of their career, and so there's he he must be connecting the dots. But yeah, this is such a it's such a mid seventies album. I've got a bunch of things that fall very much on this like spectrum of this is on the path to something amazing. <laughs> Even as a 24-year-old, I mean, Brent's vocals on on Silver's self-titled debut, first album, last album, I mean, he sounds great. And you get a little preview of of kind of his tortured soul. I think one of the, I think the first song is like called Musician, it. It's Not an Easy Life. It's like, dude, you're 24. Like, take it easy, man. Relax. <laughs> you're in a band. It's great. You're signed to Arista. It's, it's probably okay, but... Yeah, there. I listened to it once or twice, and uh, I I don't think I'm going to listen to Wham Bam Shang Lang or. <laughs> That's <laughs> the one that Clive Davis produced because he well, knew they had a hit there, uh, or not. <laughs> yeah, or we. Yeah, there's probably a reason that the Grateful Dead didn't bring that into into their catalog. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah, that's that's not a record people need to go back to a lot. It's it it's good for context. Uh, I would say the same for most of the, the Bobby and the Midnight's material, honestly. Um, so we'll, we can leave that behind. Let's talk about some Grateful Dead. <laughs> That's, this, this isn't a Bobby and the Midnight's podcast? Oh, uh, not that, I don't know. Um, let's, uh, let's see if Osiris has sent some new dicta about the content. Nope, right. nothing in the email. Okay, yeah, for the best. Yeah. So uh, let, let's talk about a couple shows and maybe some of the material. Uh, you've got a whole bunch of them in your list, and I don't know if you have any in particular you want to highlight maybe from the first first half of the uh, the 80s or something. Uh, yeah, I'm taking a look taking a look at my notes because as a dad to a two-year-old and a five-year-old who sleeps six hours a night and wakes up at two in the morning for work, if I don't write it down, I don't actually know it. Uh, but like... Long Beach, uh, 1981. Uh, the 828 show. Yeah. Like this was <laughs> literally just a random show that I saw someone recommend on Twitter who was arguing, hey, 8081 Dead 
is actually on par, if not maybe a little better than 89-90 did. And that's, I was like, ooh, that's a hot take. I don't know how many 81 shows I've heard. Let's get into it. But I'm a fan of some 81 shows, actually. But uh, I think that's, um, that is a hot take. I think he might find some resistance to it. However, there is good stuff here. Yeah, like like in that specific show, 828, 81, like they love each other, you know, which had been around for a while. Like Brent playing, you know, the Fender Rhodes, like is what pops out to me in that tune. And, you know, it's not like he's the the center of attention, uh, but it, it just, it all works together so well. And the same with Let It Grow, like it just sounds, sounds so good. Uh, versus like if you listen to a let it grow from a couple of years earlier when Keith was in the band, like you hear both of the guitars and you hear the drums. I didn't hear a lot of Phil uh, in the specific version that I was listening to, but like Brett just is another element and it's not like he's clashing with Jerry and Bobby. He just like sort of dovetails in really, really nicely. Yeah. And, uh, and then we have a Brent original in this one, don't we? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, never trust a woman. Oh, dude. And I, it's so funny because all the Brent songs, you know, his voice, yeah, his voice is is distinctive. Is he Michael McDonald's long lost brother? Like, maybe. I don't know. He might be. <laughs> like, and when he's playing the organ, uh, you know, yeah. It's interesting to me that a lot of Brent songs kind of hit the hit the same notes or areas. Uh, but when you dig into them, like they're actually really great and never trust a woman. I was jotting down notes like, all right, let's break down these Brent songs and never trust a woman. Here's, here's the, the cliffs notes. Better days are ahead. Uh, but right now my life kind of sucks and I'm blaming you, my, my girlfriend or my wife or whatever the case may be. I mean, it's all in the title, never trust a woman. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's like, interesting to hear like that full line. I never <laughs> trust a woman who wears her pants too tight. <laughs> right. Whoa. Like, all right. Takes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of, yeah, for sure. But there are so many, so many Brent songs that fall into the category of like, you love, love sucks and love is hard. Like dude was tortured. And I, I, it's interesting how he kind of becomes the fall boy for what a lot of people maybe don't like about 80s Grateful Dead, which is, all right, it was a little touch and go, but let's call, you know, let's call it out for what it is. Everybody in the band was maybe going through a couple of things in the 80s. It's not like they brought Brent and his gravelly voice in and and, and then things went off the tracks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know what? Let's let's we're gonna I, I'm gonna we're gonna be all over the map on this. Let's let's talk about this list because I've I have your your Brent songs categorized here in front of me, and we're in the love sucks category. Right. I wouldn't want to rank things because I know that's not what you're into, but I don't think it hurts to sort of dive into material uh, and and sort of suss out what what you can. I, I think that's just an appreciation of uh, of of art. But yeah, like. When you think, all right, tell me a tell me a Brent song, people would probably say "Blow Away," or they'd probably say "Far from Me," right? I was just listening to "Far from Me" when you uh, connected in. Um, I was, in fact, it was one of the ones from one of the shows on your list. It was six twenty three and ninety, uh, Outson Stadium, Oregon. 
It's a great Ooh. version. It's a great yeah. version of that song. It's a pretty that's that's a pretty good show. And the yeah, odd that's on Relisten like sounds sounds really good. But far from me in a nutshell is hey, we're done. I know this. I'm just waiting for you to acknowledge it. Let, what are we even doing here? We're done, babe. See ya. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you know how many songs could be summed up just like that? I think about half the ones I've written. Um <laughs> Well, that's definitely uh, the the thesis from from Blow Away, which I mean, I would I would assume is probably like the most popular or the most well known. But yeah, Blow Away is like no, our love, it's done. When are you going to catch up to the to the reality of the situation? But Blow Away had another element, which with the of the monologue, not always, but he definitely took a few. There's the uh, the famous JFK version where he's just. uh, really laying a rap on the audience and Bobby, Bobby did it. Uh, Pigpen did it. Nobody did it like Pigpen, but Brent definitely did a pretty fair job with his blow away raps. And that's a hell of a song. I, I just like the, the vibe. As soon as that song kicks in, I think Jerry liked it too. Well, and it's, you watch a lot of those videos and most of the, the dead videos. You know, I remember back in the days when Netflix was like, you got DVDs in the mail. So I would always try to incorporate a uh, Grateful Dead, you know, DVD and in, in, in my roommate's uh, Netflix hall way, way back in the day. <laughs> and it's a lot of that. It's a lot of that era, you know, late eighties, very early nineties. And yeah, you just see him pounding away on the B3 with his long sleeve shirt and his Rolex. And yeah, it feels feels like maybe things got crazy backstage at set break. Uh, but you you see Jerry just looking at Brent like he's his own child or something, even though they were more or less peers. Uh, I mean, he just like, you can see the love that he has for Brent's playing and, and Brent's voice just in Jerry's eyes. And it's just something to behold. You really see it in the in those eighty nine videos, so like the Alpine Valley. I think it's released as downhill from here and things like that. They are very connected, and it, it's really a pleasure to watch. Um, we talked about Never Trust a Woman. Uh, maybe you know, which is a uh, it's a little bit of an, one of the outlier songs, right? It's not. It, it's hard, almost not a full fledged number. It was only played. Basically, it was played for like uh, I th- I think it was played. Gosh, I think it was like eighty three or eighty four. It was played a handful of times, but the most famous or infamous version yeah. of maybe you know is uh, referred to as the Brent Freakout Show, which is April twenty first, nineteen eighty six, where they're going into drums, middle of the second set, but somehow Brent starts playing. Maybe you know and. Billy and Mickey, you can sort of tell her like, oh, what's going on? Hmm. But maybe, you know, uh, <laughs> my thesis or, or my summary is, uh, hey, you don't care about me. And I think maybe there's a reason that they only played it for like one one tour, basically. And I think it was spring 83 or spring 84. Uh, but he Brent busted out in 1986 when when things were definitely you know, going a little haywire with with the band, obviously, that's right before Jerry had his his coma, right? Yeah, um, but Brent, I mean, he's having a little personal meltdown right there on on stage with that version. It's it's heavy and yeah. harsh, and uh, and and I, I could see it could be off putting, but I mean, there's so much passion in his performance too. So if you like me are a Brent fan, you might not 
jump to a version like this because it's because it ain't pretty, but it's powerful. It's powerful, it's and I don't understand how you couldn't listen to it and and have nothing but sympathy sympathy for the dude because he's right. obviously going through some tough stuff. You know, I, I guess his marriage was just as rocky as 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 Donna and and Keith's, and you know we he's got these two little girls and that's what I will take you home is all about later on. Uh, uh, but yeah, he's, he's going through a really rough day uh, on, on that uh, 421 86, maybe, you know, and yeah, uh, I don't think I ever heard Pigpen drop as many F bombs or, or Jerry just haul butts uh, out of, uh, out of the side stage uh, to come out and say, all right, all right, buddy, let's, let's just transition into going down the road feeling bad. Let's get out of this. Maybe, you know, yeah. This this seems appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so then we have Don't Need Love, which is, I mean, it's very similar. I, honestly, it's a uh, brutal, kind of yeah. a brutal song. Yeah. And I mean, and let's not pigeonhole Brent into all of these, like love is torturous. Uh, well, we've got a, We've got a couple other categories. We right? A couple, not many, but we've got a couple. <laughs> and I think... I had never heard this tune. You had sent it to me uh, from a Brent solo show. I think it was from like 1988. Um, 4-16-88. Yeah. Love doesn't have to be pretty. And I I really think this might be his best song. I mean, they never, the dead never played it. Right. But he's talking about love is like being on a ladder and, and, Basically, what he's saying is that love is inherently selfish and someone's always going to get hurt, which if you think about, I mean, those of us who are in like good, healthy relationships, like imagine if that is your perspective on love. That's heavy, man. It's heavy. And it might be why you always get hurt if that's your perspective on what love is. But uh, maybe we're not... I might not be qualified to, uh, to to analyze it that far, but but yeah, this is, I I sent you this because this performance, the solo set is really great. It's a nice recording of just Brent on a piano does some of the you know older tunes that a little like uh, Devil in a Blue Dress, Good Golly Miss Molly, but he opens the set with this song that is I will play it for everybody later on i will definitely include this song it is just heart-wrenching yeah so good yeah and it's it's one thing to sort of hear brent's voice and 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 hear the organ and sort of maybe like in in the back of your mind shuffle all of his songs into into one little corner but when you actually like listen to the lyrics this is the one uh love doesn't have to be pretty that i cuts the most i mean it's it's a devastating song. It's it's almost too bad that it didn't like get get more play in the hey, Dead's canon. As far as I know, this is the only recording this performance. I, I, wow. I don't know if he played it any other time, but this is the only recording I've ever found from this is this one. Right. Well, unless unless we turn into like Dr. Drew or Dr. Phil. You yeah. know, Brent Brent had a tough time with love, but it wasn't all it wasn't all, you know, bad. Uh, his other categorization of songs is life is crazy, man. This is an insane ride and shit is nuts. 
And that would include, you know, tunes that we know, like Tons of Steel, uh, Hell in a Bucket, which, you know, we all think of as Bobby and... Uh, but Brent's I think, got a, he's got a credit on that. Yeah, he must have been in the room when they were writing it. But, <laughs> I mean, that's like classic 80s, just like, you know... Yeah, life is nuts, man. And I'm sure if you were a touring member of the Grateful Dead, your life was pretty nuts in the 80s. Yeah, I can't I can't even really honestly imagine what that must have been like, and I'm not sure I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also got an environmental bent. Uh, he uh, is a We Can Run, which is like, you know, we, we should be playing We Can Run at every Earth Day uh, forever because Absolutely. it's basically like, hey, we're messing up the earth guys. There's only one last time I checked. Why don't we take better care of it? And then there's a line about like, some about his child, you know, keeping the earth healthy for your children's children's children. Like that's, that's great stuff. I love it. Yeah. He must've gone to, Oh, you know what? There's actually great photographic evidence of him at a Greenpeace March in, uh, I think, no, it's the no nukes March in DC one year. Um, saw some photos not too long ago from it. Uh, so yeah, it's, we know the Grateful Dead were, they were often apolitical, but they had a few songs, uh, Throwing Stones, this one, and they had a few, uh, causes that they supported. Greenpeace was one of them. Um, some of the rainforest, uh, organizations and things like that. So here it is right here in a, in a terrific song. And then we have a very polarizing song that you have in this category. I think it's appropriately categorized, but some people really have trouble with this one. It is Gentlemen, Start Your Engines. <laughs> right, which which I had double-checked before we started. Uh, the Dead only played this like twice, I think, but didn't it make it? It was on an album, right? No. Oh, okay. Well, then I was... It was in that solo show that you yes, had sent me from 19, and it's 1988. Cool. It is kind of cool, but it's like... It's yeah. out there. The, the I solo mean, the version is one in particular. I mean that that I'm citing as being cool. But the the song itself is. Um, I kind of like the lyric. Uh, I think, as a Grateful Dead song, it might be shaky. But that here we have Brent. Well, yeah, like the lyric, one of these days I'm going to pull myself together. Soon as I finish tearing myself apart, let me but tell you, honey, there might be some stormy weather rolling around the caverns of my heart. Like, whoa. Dude, that's brilliant stuff right there, honestly. I mean, that that's a warning to any future jilted lover. Like, hey, <laughs> hey, you, you better know what you're getting into if you want to come come over here to this this part of town. Uh, but it, it wasn't all, you know, hedonism and, and darkness and love is the worst. There were a few sweet songs. Uh, I have a family friend, uh, old deadhead, uh, has a daughter, and he emailed me when I was asking him about his recollections of the Brent era. And he said, there's no way that, that me or my daughter can listen to, I will take you home and not tear up a little bit. So there was a sweet side to Brent. Absolutely. Uh, that's a gorgeous song. And like, I know lots of deadheads who are just completely crippled by that number. And I get that. I get that as a, as a father, and just as a, you know, person with warm blood flowing through my veins, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, this one speaks to me. As a yeah, as a as a human, and and that's a song that Brent wrote. There are a few sneaky songs uh, that uh, Robert Hunter 
wrote that definitely sound like textbook Brent songs. And it's hard. It's impossible to imagine Jerry singing some of these Robert Hunter songs. But uh, yeah, that's I, I really feel like that's probably Brent's crowning achievement is I will take you home, even though, you know, we, we, we like to think of him as the blow away guy and the far from me guy. Well, he's all of these things. He's a complex dude, right? Um, so we we can't overlook just a little light, which is one that I really like. Um, I think it's got a, a cool groove when it gets rolling. It's got a, a good lyric, um, and you care you put it in this category um, with your. I like I like your synopsis of this. I'm a bad dude, but you're sweet, <laughs> right? This this falls for Brent. This falls into the love is cool category maybe love's not so bad after all but yeah i think it's just a little light especially uh some of those like jerry synth tones and and brent's keyboard tones i mean that that's a really good example of like 80s 80s dead and what people think of for better or worse when they think of especially like mid to late 80s dead uh yeah just a little light is a a nice encapsulation of that for sure and then we have one more on this list which actually broadly spans the entire Brent era, uh, it's Easy to Love You. And this is a song they played back in 79, but you know, I think the the best version is probably from, was it 32290 Cops Coliseum, which if, I, if I'm right, I believe is the version that's on the Backstage Pass video, if anybody still has. I'm not sure they ever put that out on DVD. It's just on the, on the video cassette. But such a beautiful, it's a beautiful version, that one. But it's a, it's a really great song. Well, and let me blow your mind. That's a John Barlow tune. Oh, Brent yeah. Just, Brent just wrote the music. So it's like, you know, we, I would imagine that, that the Dead's lyricist you know, probably had a few songs in their back pocket that they thought, all right, this is not a Bobby tune. This isn't. This isn't a Jerry tune. Let, let's talk to my man Brent and see how he's feeling about this. Well, I'll tell you, Barlow had a he had a writing relationship with Brent, and he um, anybody who had a writing relationship with Bob Weir had a complicated writing relationship with Bob Weir. Um, I don't Bob Weir is it? I think it's Hunter. He said he. I'll get the quote wrong, but he had not nice things to say about uh, how Bobby treats a songwriter. So that's interesting. I had uh, read something. Uh, Brent talking about what it was like to learn a Jerry song versus what it was like to learn a Bobby song and speaking more instrumentally, but he basically said, Jerry would play a tune through a couple of times and it was your responsibility to kind of hop in and do what you could with the music. And it was as simple and straightforward as that. Whereas with our boy, Bobby, there were a lot of key changes. Things were fairly complicated, and you know, it was it was a challenge. It was victim of the crime. Good luck, y'all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. One of the things I remember from uh, like starting to poke around uh, in 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 the Grateful Dead and getting beyond, kind of just like some of the albums and some of the live releases that I was more familiar with early on. Uh, I I love Unbroken Chain. Great Phil song, you know, from from early on, but then they brought it back out and at some point in the the early to mid nineties and is nineteen ninety five, uh, Philadelphia. I don't I can't imagine why I know that, but go ahead. Is that 
and and there's like a sound check that's available in our archive where you basically hear Phil teaching the band, reteaching the band how to play it. Yep. And it's you really get a sense of of who everyone was behind the curtain when Phil is sort of barking out orders and and being being Phil. Uh, so it's really interesting to think of the creative process and kind of kind of look behind the curtain. Uh, but I just that was a song early on that I was just sort of obsessed with. Uh, but it's, it's kind of fun to, to be able to take these, these looks backstage and sort of, you know, read about the inner workings of the band. And doesn't it make sense that Jerry, uh, (laughs) Godfather that he is would just be like, Hey man, here's my awesome song. Hop in where you can. I'm sure you'll, you'll do good work. Find, Find your place in this song. Um, yeah, I, I, I like that approach. I'm not sure. I think it's the it's a Zen com- composition approach. It's like here I I have the melody. I know the guitar part. I'll make a great solo or I'll play a solo. You figure here's the chords. Okay, good. Play something. If it's right, really and- shitty, I'm sure Jerry would turn and say, "Do something else." <laughs> you know. Yeah. But uh. I'm going to play that again, man. See if you can do something a little different. Yeah. Why don't you, uh, yeah, sweeten that a little. Um, <laughs> well, and one of the things that I think when I think about the 80s dead is like, yeah, things got a little, things got a little, you know, iffy at times in, in the mid 80s due to, due to everyone's personal health struggles. But there's a whole lot of Bobby, uh, like, CC Rider and you know all of those Bobby Blues songs and I just think about the trajectory of the dead and how important a role that Bobby and Brent both played when maybe Jerry wasn't ready to to carry the weight of 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 everything I, and I think we undervalue how important Bobby and Brent were because they were kind of you know, keeping, keeping the train moving in the right direction, uh, during a lot of those shows. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that in your notes on some of these shows where you're like, well, Jerry's sounding a little struggling on this one, but Bobby steps up and it really gets going. And uh, yeah. uh, And Brent was fairly on point through a lot of this stuff, even in his later moments. I see you listen to his final show, uh, July 23rd, 1990, Tinley Park, which is a heavy, a heavy show in context. But when you listen to it, there's not a lot of hints at what's about to happen. None um, at all. I mean, the dude died, what, three, three days later, back at home in California, and he sounds great. I mean, his, his vocals are great. You, you could tell when you listen to some of these shows, like, all right, Jerry's... Jerry's struggling a little bit, like, you know, maybe maybe his voice is a little husky, or maybe he's misremembering a couple of couple of lyrics here or there. It's not bad. It's not bad. But yeah, Brent's final show, Tenley Park, in nineteen ninety, like who who would have known? And I have to imagine that even knowing kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff that I'm sure the band was all aware of, obviously, yeah. like they they had to have been shocked when he died a couple days after that summer tour wrapped up in 1990. Yeah. That's, um, that's hard business to some degree shocked and some degree like, Oh, well, cause they knew he was, uh, he was definitely living a hard, 
living on a hard road. Yeah, and I think I had I think I think I remembered reading something that that Bobby said. I forget what documentary it was or yeah, heard heard Bobby say where he was talking about that facet of the dead. They're they're hard living and he basically said like, "Yeah, we we lost a brother." And I in my head I was like, "Oh, is he talking about Jerry in in 95?" But he was talking about Brent and that was yeah. like a real uh kick in the butt to to I think everyone in the band. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they they had dates scheduled. They didn't want to reschedule, and they pressed on. But that's outside the scope of this conversation. We'll sure. Stick, we'll keep it right into the Brent here, and um, let's. Um, I want to I want to bring up a couple more things. Some things that we like. Some little things that I threw at you. This 1987 show, Telluride Town Park. Telluride 87, August 16th. It's not in your notes, but I know we talked about it. Uh, this is the one where that I I heard this on a tape years and years and years and years ago, back when we heard things on tapes. And I was I was hanging out with a friend at one of his friend's places in Richmond, and somebody played this tape. And the thing that really caught my ear was when I paint my masterpiece. And the violin sound that Brent is getting from his keyboard, from his synthesizer or whatever, is outstanding. It it really just threw me for a loop. And and then I hunted and hunted for this tape for a long time before I finally found it. Um, did you you check this one out? I think. I think I did, and like I alluded to earlier, it's in one. <laughs> it's literally in one ear and out the other. But generally, to me, and I like to sort of, I like to look at look at something as complex and ever evolving as the Grateful Dead, and try to like boil it down uh, into little bits that I can take away. Uh, but like 1987, if I had to summarize the Grateful Dead, is that's the year that the MIDI action and the synth action like went bonkers and. You hear about, I guess it was Dan Healy, or they had brought in what's his name, Bob, Bob Bralove. Yeah, he would uh, manipulate the MIDI tones from backstage. <laughs> which I'm sure, if you're like the the artist on stage, and then supposedly Bobby didn't like it, I guess, which is sort of weird to consider. Uh, but it's interesting how you know, after Jerry's, uh, basically he he was having big struggles on their first stadium tour in the summer of 86. And then he had his coma and they had to cancel shows the rest of 86. So it makes sense in my mind that, okay, they're back in 1987 and, and we've got to have Bobby and, and, and Brent maybe doing a little more of the lifting and these MIDI tones and all the synthesizers are like part of it. But yeah, sometimes it's interesting to listen to those like 87, late eighties, Dead shows, especially the space jams, because who yeah. knows who's playing what? Is that violin MIDI sound Jerry? Is it Brent? Like it's it's it really all sort of melds together and can get really far out there. Yeah, it really can. Um, and so we've got some we've got some good jamming stuff ahead for everybody. Uh, but eighties eighties jams, believe it or not. Um, I, this is another one that I don't think made your notes, but we talked about, which is the four twenty one eighty four, which is Philly Civic Center. Um, Ooh, this- yeah, that's that's a good run of shows, and and there's so many gems in the eighties. But that Northeast Spring Run, I mean, those three shows in Philly, there's lots yep. to lots to dig into. The Berkeley eleven three 
84. That's good know. stuff. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. I was thinking of uh, it's June 30th, 1984. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's like a, a, sh- a shakedown playing in the band Terrapin. That's really great. And I feel like it hold up to, to anything from classic 70s. I do remember you telling me that you would listen to this and you were really psyched. And this is the reason it was that that told me or that made me say, oh, you think that's good? Try June 30, 85, because that's the Meriwether shakedown that is just. Yeah, In- so incredible, crushing. incredible. And you yeah. mentioned that Philly run from 1984, just a couple of days uh I think it's part of I think it's part of that stretch, but there's like an an Ico, uh, a lost sailor into a saint of circumstance, and Uncle John's band, and only a fool. That's just such an incredible, incredible stretch of music. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember years ago, I think you had tweeted something about Ico, or or I had tweeted something like, eh, as a guy who's originally from New Orleans, I reserve the right to kind of poo-poo Ico. And you're like, whoa. Well, bro, you need to reconsider that opinion. And I will say that after listening, (laughs) after listening to a whole lot of eighties dead, I'm, I'm on board. We can Ico Ico to start every set too, if that's what we need to do. Yeah. That was, uh, the one you were citing was 42384 veterans Memorial Coliseum, New Haven. Yeah, that's a good one. And that is the only version of only a fool. Another, another little Brent number. Oh yeah, and it's it's really interesting, you know. If you listen to enough dead, you certainly sort of see the flow of of the shows. Of course, there's like a familiar pattern, but it is nice how, like in set two, we'd have a couple of big songs. We'd hopefully jam something out a little bit. Then we might rally with a with a Brent number before we go into drums and space. I think one of the most interesting things about the dead, to me is how there's like a familiar rhythm to a lot of the shows. And, you know, as as a guy who's also a big Fish fan, the Dead don't have 300 songs. You know, they have probably less than 200 songs that were in the rotation. So there's a little more familiarity in those set lists. Uh, but it is kind of like comforting when you get into these patterns where you're like, all right, we've jammed something out for like 10 or 15 minutes. The third or fourth song is set to let's, let's hear a little bit from Brent. Then we're going to go into drums and space and then we'll bring Jerry back and, and we'll have a nice soulful, whether it's China doll or, or, you know, uh, morning dew or, or whatever the case may be. Like, I, I just love that. Yeah. They, um, a lot of people, and I think there's a validity to knocking the structure that formed around Grateful Dead and, was a 78 or so and they started you know having the the guaranteed drum segment and set to and whatnot but at times if you look at it it's oh it was playing into drums into space and oh they played a little plain reprise well if that were 1974 you would have called it a 40 minute plane in the band so <laughs> there's it's a matter of perspective yes the drums are obligatory in 1984 uh but yeah for my money i mean some of the best and they're a lot of fun some of the most interesting like parts of of some of those shows especially you know when mickey starts using all sorts of crazy equipment i mean the drums in the space and i'm i'm the kind of guy who i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fast forward through drums in space like i love listening to weird 
set twos when I'm out on like a two hour mountain bike ride in the desert here in Las Vegas. And there's nothing like 20 to 30 minutes of just far out there music uh, when you're in, in the middle of nowhere. And some of the drums and, and especially the, the space jams to me are like some of the highlights of some of those mid eighties shows, which maybe speaks to, to what was going on in other parts of, of the show, but it gets out there. And if you're a guy that likes things to, to be stretched, like that's, that's where that was happening. I want it weird. So, you know, I'm on board. I'm, I'm the guy who got infrared roses on tape when it came out and drove around with it in his car for years. So, um, <laughs> I'm wishing uh, that I, I'm wishing that I had a record player so that I could get the, uh, the sea stones like, uh, like release that, that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, the weirder, the better, my friend, but, you know, Ned, Ned actually just re released uh sea stones on cd so uh, Ooh. I'll, I'll, I'll get you a link to that uh it's nice it's, it's freaking wild so it's extended too so there's a bunch bunch more stuff on there so i thought it would be fun real quick to talk about a couple of the major releases of this time period because again people obviously without a net is a big deal it's a formative record for people who are more closer to your age and my age um because i mean it's a great uh, distillation of late Brent era. The the box sets from the Spring 90 tours are also critical material. Um, then you swing to the other end, the Dead Set, Reckoning. I don't know if you have a relationship with these records, but um, when Dead Set, Dead Set was one of the first Grateful Dead records I ever bought, and I, I listened to it endlessly endlessly when it came out i mean for my money that's literally the best album cover of all time it's, it's, it's a great an, cover it's so so beautiful and i'm with you in that uh without a net was formative formative grateful dead for me i somehow randomly when i was like 12 got from columbia house skeletons in the closet and uh skull and roses and i didn't know anyone who knew the dead? Um, maybe I had seen like an older kid with a t-shirt on a bus or something. I have no idea why I picked those, but those were my early dead albums. And after that, it was Europe 72, which I've, I, mean, I feel like you don't have a choice. That's just something that we all listen to. And it's amazing. But without a net was that fourth cornerstone. And nice. so those synthy, you know, MIDI sounds are, are baked into my dead experience. And is it's without an net that has that insane eyes of the world, right? With Branford. Yes. Yes. I used to, as, as a punky, you know, 24 year old, uh, single guy who would go to the neighborhood bar. That would be my jukebox selection during the early <laughs> afternoon, uh, due to my weird work schedule. And a lot of times I would convert some of the old bar faithful. They'd look over at me and say, Dude, what is this? I like it. I think it's good. And uh, it's so much fun to re-listen to because it's like with any formative album, you literally know every note. You've you've heard it a million times and it's it's just so good. Yeah, it really is. Um, it, constantly a standout. Um, there's a few Dick's picks from the 80s that are worth a damn. Uh, well, really all of them, honestly. Uh, 5, 6, 81 is Dick's picks 13. Um, and that's a Great show. I'm a big fan of The Night Before, by the way, 5581. So y'all could go check that out sometime if you like. Maybe someday I'll play some of it here. Um, Dave's Picks 20 came out a few years ago. It's another 81 show. 
Um, of course, we got all those view from the vault discs, which more or less fall in this era. Um, four is uh, July 24th and 26th of 87, which is an interesting pick, but it's good stuff. Um, you know, it, we I, I, I could go on. I probably should go on because I'm going to miss a lot of things. There's the... Um, Oh, what's that set from October? Nightfall of Diamonds, the uh, 1016 89. We didn't really even talk about Fall 89. Um, and so let's do that real quick. So, Fall, Summer 89 is a great tour. Everybody is hitting, hitting strong, playing well. The MIDI stuff has come on full blown. Uh, it came out in the summer. Der Jerry had the midi rig on wolf i think it was at deer creek i'm getting that right maybe i'm getting that wrong oh that was i i randomly uh picked a 1989 show and i have to say you know i've listened to your podcast love it you have more grateful dead knowledge baked into your dna than i'll ever have so when you just spit out these dave's pick this or you know such and such release like to a guy like me i'm scribbling notes when i'm listening at home uh and it's just so valuable so so thanks for for putting that out there i'm sure you know you don't hear a lot of 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 thanks but it's nice to like have a little bit of direction in knowing where to go but i randomly picked that yeah july 15th 1989 show just because it was well well rated when i was looking through archive and that's interesting because you know they were a big stadium band then but somehow i think on their way to alpine valley they we're playing this little show in this brand new outdoor amphitheater, right? Deer Creek, which at 25,000 capacity or whatever it was, was like anom anomalously small for them at that point in time. Right. I mean, they were playing RFK on that tour. They were playing Giant Stadium, uh, JFK Stadium in Philly. They were playing the big houses. And yeah, uh, Deer Creek was, yeah, it was a little treat. And things got things got good and weird. And then come the fall, of course, uh, we had the Warlock shows at Hampton, and uh, Dark Star comes back, Help Slip Frank comes back, and Death Don't Have No Mercy comes back, and that whole tour was it was heavy and serious. And by the time they got to Miami, I think I think we've talked about it on this show, but the ten twenty six eighty nine show, which is. Um, I think it was in the 30 trips box set, so it has been released and it is, it's a face melter. It, <laughs> they are just pull out all the stops and truly like the Warlock shows are great, really great. And this one steps it up, frankly. So see, even as a participant in your podcast, I'm like scribbling down notes over here because <laughs> I don't know that I've heard many, if if any of that specific material. Oh, so this is this is great. I love when I can leave uh, listening to an episode with some homework. Yeah. Uh, well, good. Get to it. Um, <laughs> the and of course uh, we talked a little bit about the spring '90 stuff. Uh, they were just. This is the real tragedy. I mean. The loss of life is a tragedy, but for music fans, the loss of what could have been. They were so strong in spring and summer of 90. Um, who knows what could have been? I mean, the band still came and played strong, but they had, they were 
slightly hobbled because they were breaking in new keyboard players so in the fall yeah and and i will say of of all of the eras of the dead probably my most under listened to set of years is post brent i mean i love hearing bruce hornsby you know play keyboard i love listening he he has great backing vocals uh it's it's good but because i'm i'm a couple years younger than you it's not like i didn't see i never saw the dead you know in 95 i was 14 years old and my parents no excuse <laughs> yeah i know my <laughs> my parents weren't even letting me like ride my bike out of the neighborhood into town let alone yeah. you know go 2 hours away to rfk um so that's that's kind of a set of years post Brent that that I need to dig into a little bit more. And yeah, it sounds good, but obviously things went went the way they went in ninety three and ninety four and ninety five. So you've got to dig a little deeper to find the gems. Well, it sounds like we might have a whole nother episode ahead of us. Then uh, we'll we'll talk about that. We'll maybe do that next year. Um, but because uh, it it's high time, if you will. Uh, that we get into some of that at some point. But before we go into the 90s dead, let's let's you and I say goodbye and we'll put on some killer Grateful Dead music for these folks. This is going to lean heavily into Brent material and Brent era. We'll get some jams. We'll get some Brent songs. We'll get the uh, Love Doesn't Have to Be Pretty uh, tucked in there somewhere for everybody. Grab your tissues. Thanks for having me on, Jonathan. Like I said, love listening to the show. Love all the recommendations that you just pull out of thin air and keep doing keep doing what you do. It's been fun to listen to a whole lot of 80s dead. There's some good stuff in there. <laughs> well, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you're always fun to chat with and you, you do the homework, man. People like you did more homework for this than I did. So thank you. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. It's nice to have an excuse to listen to <laughs> phenomenal music. Long live Brent. Yeah, there you go.
morning comes, she follows the path to the river shore. Line the sun, the song is the light, so the morning star. See the sun, sparkle in the reeds, silver beads, past to the sea. She comes from the town where they call her the woodcutter's daughter. She kneels down together her water She bears it away with the love That the river has taught her Let it flow, let it flow Wide and clear Round and round The cut of the flower The bird Plowman is proud as the back of the land he's sowing. As he dances the circular track of a plow, never knowing that the work of his days matters more than the planting.
Sounds like you're all doing fine. Feel a little naked up here without the rest of the band. <laughs> Let's see what we can do. Love doesn't have to be fun. 
Some folks just reason Oh, it's such a bite I don't trust nothing But I know it's gonna right. Say it once again now But I hope you understand When it's done and over Look, man, he's just a man Playing Playing in the band Daybreak Daybreak on the land Some folks look for answers Others look for fights I know three times just look for their types And I can see your future Well, only look what's in your hand But I can't stop it up And I'm just playing the band Playing, playing in the band Daybreak, daybreak on the land
We don't own this place, so we act as if we did. It belongs to the children of our children's kids. The actual owners haven't even been born yet. But we never tend the garden, and we rarely pay the rent. Most of it is broken, and the rest of it is spent. Put it all on plastic, and I wonder where we'll be when the bills hit. We can't run. Can't hide from it. Of all possible worlds, we only got one. We gotta ride on it. Whatever we've done, we'll never get far from what we leave behind. Maybe we can run, 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 but we can't hide. I'm tough with my tracks in your backyard.
Jail cell? 